would turn with me uh, to Genesis, uh, and you can kind of hold your place there, although it's the easiest verse in the Bible to find is Genesis 1.1, but we're going to actually start over in Deuteronomy, and uh, let me explain why. Also, remember again, if you've not grabbed one of these uh, Genesis scripture journals, but Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to start there because Genesis is really a part, is volume one of a five-volume series of books that we today call the Pentateuch, and Pentateuch literally means uh, five vessels or five volumes. Um, The Bible all over the place says that this was written by Moses, so we're going to assume that he's the author, directed by God to do that. The Hebrews called these five books the Torah, or the law, which means instruction. Um, These five books were written first to the children and grandchildren of the first generation of uh, Israel who came out of Egypt. So the generation that was rescued from Egypt and went through the Red Sea and spent 40 years in the wilderness, they're all gone at this point, at the end of Deuteronomy, where we're going to start. Um, Moses is Moses and Joshua and Caleb are the last of that first generation remaining, and Moses is about to die after he gives these final words. And so they're talking to the children and grandchildren of those who came out of Egypt. And they're trying to encourage them about the life that they're going to live in the land, the promised land that God was going to give them. And so God had Moses write down the story of the people of Israel from the very beginning in Genesis, all the way through their rescue from Egypt and their wandering in the wilderness in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, all the way to this moment in Deuteronomy, just before they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. So uh, this is Moses' final recap of God's promises and instructions to his people. Um, He's giving, God is giving these people this reminder so that they would be prepared to live with God in the place he had prepared to live with them. Okay, so let's eavesdrop on what Moses had to say about these five books. As you stand with me, and I'll read from... Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20, and then 32, and then Genesis 1, 1. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20, hear the word of the Lord. Moses says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, Then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. 
Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. And then in chapter 32, verses 45 to 47, And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. And he's speaking about now the whole, all the five books. He says, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And then the very first verse of those five volumes, Genesis 1, 1. Why don't you read that one with me? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, uh, this is your word, and we thank you for it. And we ask uh, that you would um, convince us, make it our life, <laughs> because in it we find you, because you are our life. Would you do that this morning for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A young woman named Taylor was in our youth group in Dallas, Texas about 10 years ago. And Christine and I remember uh, watching Taylor command the stage as she uh, was usually in the lead roles in mu musicals at Hebron High School in Texas, in Carrollton, Texas. Uh, Taylor lives in L.A. now, and after a few minor parts here and there in movies and, and commercials and uh, live stage plays, she just recently landed her biggest role yet. Um, she was the co-lead in a movie on the Lifetime Network. Yeah. You know, Lifetime is like the murder and revenge version of Hallmark movies, okay? Okay, just so you know. Um, and so, uh, Taylor's movie debuted this past Saturday night, but we forgot and we didn't, we didn't start it on time, so we started it about an hour in. Um, and all we knew coming into the movie was that uh, Taylor was playing the villainous babysitter for a suburban family. <laughs> yes, so we, we knew what her role was, but we didn't know anything else about the story. Here we come, an hour in, and as we clicked in, this is what was happening. Taylor, Taylor's character, accidentally, on purpose, stomped on and punctured the foot of the mom of the baby she babysits. Yes, it was horrifying. We were like, wow. <laughs> uh, we're starting off with some high drama. What in the world is going on here? Um, so Taylor's character acted terribly sorry for the accident, and she helped treat the wound. She got the mom to rest in bed while she watched the baby. And then it spiraled down from there. Uh, Taylor drugged the mom with a 
a sleeping pill laced smoothie. She uh, took her cell phone and locked it in a filing cabinet so no one could get to her. She used the mom's email to destroy her fitness business. And then she killed the mom's best friend who was starting to act suspicious. And it got worse from there. And that's pretty much the movie. And we said, wow. Uh, But since we missed the beginning of the story, we missed foundational plot development. That would have made the story make a lot more sense. Um, You see, without the beginning of the story... We had tried to figure out who this mom was, why Taylor's character was doing this to her, and just what the purpose of all this drama was. So many questions. It was so cloudy and so confusing. Um, But as we kept watching, bits and pieces of the backstory began to come out, and we were able to piece together that 20 years earlier, this mom had killed Taylor's character's mom in an unfortunate auto accident. Of drunk driving. Ah, now we understand why the movie is called Revenge for My Mother. Thank you, Lifetime, for your unambiguous movie titles. Um, So knowing that backstory helped us make sense of what Taylor was doing and why in this story. And so, yeah, that's, that's funny, but The drama in your story is not quite so funny, is it? And so I wonder, uh, is there any high drama in your life lately? Or maybe the high drama in your life is that your life is not very dramatic. It feels more like drudgery. What what are some of the plot twists at home or work or school that uh, you're experiencing uh, that have you asking, what in the world is going on here? Um, do you ever feel like you've walked into the middle of a movie that's already started and you're still trying to figure out, and you're actually a character in the movie, and you're still trying to figure out what's going on, why you're there, what you're supposed to be doing? You've got so many questions. It's so cloudy and so confusing. Well, God gave Genesis to a people who are just as cloudy and confused as you are. Um... And here they are, the people of Israel, along with their children, simply trying to live life as the people of God in the place God has put them. And as they're about, it's already been rough 40 years in the wilderness, but as they're about to enter uh, the promised land into Canaan, it's going to get pretty crazy. Things are going to spiral a little bit. Um, And... It's not just that first generation that entered into Israel who benefited from Genesis. It's also those who were already in the wilderness when they were in the wilderness before. And even later on, uh, when they're in a place of abundance in the promised land and the kingdom is going well under David. But then even further on, when everything's fallen apart and they've been exiled, God's people in every stage of their story will benefit from the Pentateuch, will benefit from Genesis. Sometimes God calls them to a wilderness where where they just have to depend on God to keep manna on the table. Sometimes God calls them to a place of abundance like the promised land, and there's danger there too. There's a danger that they would uh, 
get lured away from God by all the comfort and wealth that he gave them. And so they're going to have to depend on God to keep from being lured away from him. They're going to have to depend on God to keep uh, from being sucked into the story that the culture around them in Canaan is telling about their gods. And then sometimes God's people were found in exile, like I said, and they feel like God has uh, sent them away, not just sent them away, but seems to want nothing to do with them anymore. And they know, some of them admit, well, we deserve this. And some of them, think of the innocent children who were in exile because of someone else's sin. So we're all in these kinds of places in our story. Sometimes it's wilderness, sometimes it's abundance, sometimes it's exile. And in each of these situations, you know God's people had to be asking questions like this, uh, questions about this story into which they'd been born. What in the world is going on here? Who started this story? I mean, my parents say it was started by a God named Yahweh. But who is this God anyway? And why is he better than any of these other gods that I keep hearing about from my neighbors? Well, what's this God up to anyhow? Why is God asking me to be in this story? I didn't ask to be born. Who, and who am I? What's my purpose in this place and with these people? Why do I get the sense that something's wrong with everything, including me? And is there anything that can be done to make this wrong right? Is God going to do something to make it right? And is there anything I can do to be a part of making things right? And if so, how? All of these questions, it gets cloudy and confusing for us just as it did for them. And friends, that's why we need Genesis. Because the beginning of God's story will help us live in the middle of our in Genesis, we're going to discover the beginning of the answers to our deepest questions about how to live with God in the place of people. A new pastor friend of mine uh, lost his 23-year-old daughter in an auto accident, um, and she was buried on Thursday. And as I've thought about him, her, his family, I thought, I have two 23-year-olds. I, I have prayed in this past week, Lord, please have mercy on Leonard and his wife and his family. Have mercy on them. But I've also prayed several times, please, please, God, please don't do that to us. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. And I wonder, what would I do with God in that situation? If that's the story that he writes for me, what am I going to do with this? And some of you already know what it's like to lose a child. And you've already asked these questions. If God were to write that kind of chapter into my story, then I would have to know that there's a story behind that story. A story that's bigger and deeper, and stronger, strong enough to help me live in the story he's writing for me. And I think God would have to take me all the way back to the beginning of that story so that I could make it through this page 
and the next page and the next page. He's going to have to help me if he chooses to write my story that way. And he's going to have to help you. And that's what God does for us in Genesis. That's what he did for his people then and now. So go to Genesis 1.1 and let's see if there's something in the beginning that will help us in the middle, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. This is not God's origin story because he was already there. This is our origin story. Friends, here's what you need to know and what you need to lean on in the middle of your story. God is at the beginning of your story. And he's not just any God. He's the God who created heaven and earth and you. Why? So that you could live in a perfect personal relationship of love with him forever. That's what this whole book is all about. And I'm talking about the Bible. (laughs) At the beginning of your story is a God who created heaven and earth so that he could be with you. And that's why one of the most repeated statements God makes throughout the entire Old Testament is, I will be your God and you will be my people. Because that's what he longs for. That's what he's working for. In your wilderness, in your abundance, in your exile, whatever high drama or mundane drudgery you're experiencing, Genesis tells us that God is in it, and he's with you in it. You know, uh, singers and poets have said for centuries that they would move heaven and earth to be with their lovers. God is the original lover. And he created heaven and earth to be with the ones he loves. So whatever high drama or drudgery you face this afternoon or tomorrow, remember and rest in this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to be with you. One of those uh, old dead guy theologians, uh, this guy's name was Gerhardus Voss. There's one if you're looking for a name for your child. Gerhardus. Anyway, Gerhardus Voss put it this way. He said, hang with me, listen to this. This is powerful stuff. To be a Christian is to live one's life not merely in obedience to God, not merely in dependence on God, nor even merely for the sake of God, or in other words, for his glory. To be a Christian is to live one's life, is to stand in conscious, reciprocal fellowship with God. Hold on. To be identified with him in thought and purpose and work. To receive from him and give back in him, a bit give back to him, in the ceaseless 
interplay of two spiritual beings. Let me explain. In other words, God created you not for less than obedience to him, not for less than dependence on him, not for less than glorifying him, but for more, for enjoying him forever. He's describing you and God being intimately intertwined in relationship with one another in all your thoughts and purposes and work. He's saying that your whole life is meant to be one in which you receive from God and you give back to him in a ceaseless back and forth relationship with one another. A friend described it this week to me as locking arms with Jesus in whatever Jesus has called us to do. Locking arms with God and doing life with him. I love the the picture of being so intertwined with God that he's a part of every thought and every action and every purpose and every work of mine. That's what the God who's at the beginning of your story wants for you in the middle of your story. That's what he's after. And Moses knew that kind of relationship with God. He was called a friend of God. And uh, I'd encourage you, go in Exodus and just start, read the story about Moses and his relationship with God. Um, It's pretty raw. Moses said some things that some of us would be afraid to say. Like, Lord, why did you send me these people? These are yours. What's going on here? Um, Moses was insecure and fearful throughout his whole life. Um, and when he spent, the, he spent the first 40 years in Egypt uh, in the household of Pharaoh, then after he tried to accomplish God's purposes for him by his own strength and killed an Egyptian man, he took off and ran and lived in the desert of Midian for 40 more years and was just a shepherd out there, unknown. And so you'd think, after 40 years in the desert, maybe God has really worked in Moses' heart and has healed his insecurities and um, and he's given him a great deep trust and faith in God that he didn't have 40 years earlier, Uh, that he's no longer fearful about how God might want to use his own Uh, gifts and abilities in the world. Nope. Remember the conversation at the burning bush? Moses, God shows up in a burning bush and by his own voice tells Moses, I've got something for you to do. Moses goes, nope, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not a good speaker. Uh, I'm terrified. I'm sorry. And so there's this back and forth exchange between God and Moses It's like he knew him personally and intimately. And God wasn't bothered by Moses' insecurities and fears. He overcame them and worked in them and through them. He didn't let Moses off the hook. He said, you're going in and doing what I need you to do. 
regardless, but I will be with your mouth, he said. I will be with you in the midst of what I've called you to do. That's why we, that's why we need to know the beginning of the story is about a God who wants to be with us. And that's why at the end of his life, Moses pleaded with God's people to remember the story behind their story. Moses knew that the answer to all the most important questions about life begin with the answer to this question, who is God? Because if I don't know the heart of the God who put me here, I will lose heart to live with him in the places he's put me. God knew this, and that's why he had Moses begin to write the story of everything for his people. Moses knew that without this story, God's people would lose their way in the world. And so Moses said to them in Deuteronomy, he said, this story is no empty word for you. These five books, this is no empty word for you, but your very life, your very life depends on these words. By this word, you shall live long in the land. You're going to live in the place where God puts you if you hold on to these words. And, and it's not because just the words are some magical thing that if I read the Bible, then everything's going to be okay. No. What's the purpose of these words? The purpose of these words is to know the God that these words tell us about. Moses says, so, so choose life that you and your offspring may live loving, and here he describes that intertwined relationship, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. Moses longs for his people to hold fast to God in the place God's put them. For he is your life. So Moses says, this word is your life because God is your life and you get to know the God who is your life through this word, through the story that I've told you. So hold fast to him. Hold fast to the God who's at the beginning of your story. The Bible's first words tell us the most important truth we need to know in order to, in order to move meaningfully into the chapters of the story God is writing for us now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's, here's a spoiler alert. Something's going to go wrong here in a couple of chapters, and we're going to get to it, but i got to give you a little heads, heads up on it. We're going to see in the next few chapters of Genesis um, the beginning, another beginning, the beginning of the biggest threat to what God wants to do to be in relationship with us. We'll see that the serpent's strategy was to ruin Adam and Eve's relationship with God. And his, his plan was to create suspicion in them about God's heart for them. The serpent will attack the very thing that God has been after from the beginning. This personal intertwined relationship with his people. He's going to go after that. And he does it beginning with a conversation with Eve in which he focuses on God's command not to eat the fruit of one tree. And by doing that, he's drawing attention from the generous heart of God. He's drawing attention away from God's provision of every other tree in the garden. 
He's creating doubt about God's desire to walk with them in the place that he made for them. He's creating confusion about his design and desire to enjoy communion with them and his design and his desire for them to cultivate with God, with God, a world full of people who will live a life intertwined intimately with the God who made them. That's what makes what he did so evil because he was after the very thing that God wanted to do for his people. And friends, to this day, the serpent is still trying to convince you and me that God is not good and can't be trusted with our story. And he's still tempting us to grab our story in our own hands and make it work. But there's hope for all of us who have listened to the lie. Who have listened to the serpent's version of the story. Uh, There's hope for those of us who have rejected God's desire to be with us. Um, Because God in his great love, in his great pursuit, moved not, he didn't just move heaven and earth, he moved from heaven to earth in Jesus to come after us. He's still after Accomplishing what he designed us for, relationship with him. Because, you see, the New Testament tells us about another in, in the beginning. And you're all familiar with this, but I'll read it to you. John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, this is Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, he came from heaven to earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus said, eternal life is knowing you, Father, and me, the one whom you have sent. So in the beginning, God designed to be with us. And in the middle of the story, he sent Jesus, whose name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in the end, when Jesus is completed his mission to renew all things. We will live with God in a new heaven, in a new earth, forever. This is why we need to know the beginning of the story. We have to know the God who is with us in the middle of our story. I was talking with a friend this week, and he was telling me about all the pressures that he was feeling um, to provide for his family, pressures uh, in his business, and um, pressures in his desire uh, to care for his uh, children and his wife. Questions were coming up again. Will, will this be enough? Will the business fall through? Will the economy kill it? Is it even what I really want to do? All those 
cloudy and confusing questions about uh, what God is doing in this part of his story. We talked about his desire to move into the lives of his wife and children and to pour out of himself the life that Jesus has poured into him, pour it into them. Um, We admitted together that it takes courage to move into the messiness of relationships. Um, But that's what it means to be made in the image of God, in the image of the one who... Uh, entered into chaos to bring out beauty, who entered into death to bring out life. And I asked him where, where he finds the resources to continue, even when things are scary and uncertain about his future and his finances and his family. Where does he find the courage uh, and, and the, the resources to continue to move into the lives of the people God has given him with the life of Jesus? And he said... I think it's because I know the bottom line. And I said, what's, what's the bottom, what do you mean by the bottom line? I think I knew what he meant. And as we talked, it became clear that what he means by the bottom line is that God made him in his image, in God's image. And Jesus died and rose again to renew him into that image. And the bottom line is that Jesus has come and locked arms with him so that he doesn't have to face his fears alone, and that he doesn't have to worry whether he'll have the the power and the resources to pour the life of Jesus into the life of the ones he loves. Because Jesus has come to be with him in the story. And so all he can do is, like Moses said, hold fast to the one who's been there from the beginning. Hold fast to Jesus who said that he is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. Hold fast to Jesus who promises to be with him on every page of his story, in every frame of this movie, until Jesus has finished making all things new in the new heavens and earth, where the best story will begin. Father, would you give us the courage of my friend because you have given us the assurance of the beginning of the story. And that you have proven again and again and again, uh, and especially in Jesus, that your whole purpose for creating the heavens and earth is to move from heaven to earth to be with us, and to be our God, and for us to be your people forever. Would you, would you help us to remember that you are the God at the beginning of our story. Even when the chapter we're in is difficult or boring. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.